anxiety, depression, stress, all these things, they can hit anybody at any time. And a lot of the time, they're not that far away. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Getting Back Up with me, Anthony Ogogo. And as I'm sure you're aware by now, this is the podcast where I talk to inspiring people. People that have done great things in both their life and or career, but only after suffering massive setback and adversity, or as in today's case, amidst suffering, massive setback and adversity. This is your weekly dose of hope and inspiration to be inspired by my wonderful guests. And for those with the ability to watch me today on YouTube, you can see that I'm lying in a bed, another bed in another city, in another part of the world, been traveling the world wrestling i've got another match tomorrow night i've been uh, collaborating with some wonderful people for my brand new fitness app a go-go fitness launch really really soon but with that being said i've still found time to to knock out another banging podcast which today is today i talk to the fiery redhead clive branson what a story this man has this guy was in the raf worked for the Ministry of Defence for 17 years. He had an unbelievable life and his life changed in a matter of weeks. He lost his dad, he lost his mum, his dad had been Parkinson's, his mum through COVID and these big events spiralled his life. It was so bad he got admitted to a psychiatric hospital where he stayed there for 10 weeks, 10 long weeks. And Clive's arguably biggest, um, biggest setback biggest piece of adversity that he's still coming back from is clive got diagnosed with motor neuron disease the disease most commonly associated with uh, professor stephen hawkins and clive goes deep into the struggles and the setbacks and the things that that make him get up in the morning that make him carry on persevere this is an amazing conversation i don't want to give any more away you're gonna love it Take notes, listen, learn, and enjoy this. So without further ado, let's get stuck in. Clive Branson, dear sir, welcome to the Getting Back Up podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me onto this wonderful podcast. You're very, very, very welcome, sir. And as you know, because I know you're listening to the podcast, yeah. uh, this is a podcast where I talk to inspiring people, people that have done great things in both their life and or crib only after suffering or amid suffering massive setback and adversity. Because some people um, go through something very bad in their life and they learn, they grow from it, and they're now in a different space in their life. You're very much in the midst in the, of your adversity, right? You've had some, some some setbacks, like you know, recently we're going to talk all about them, um, and you're still going going through yours, right? And you've you've kind of had to get up numerous times, but you're still plowing ahead. It's, it's, I'm sure you're aware of the, the the rocky quote: "Life's not about how hard you can hit, but how hard you can get hit and keep moving forwards." And you've been hit hard, and you keep on going, and you keep on going. We're going to talk all about that. But I've got one question to ask. I've got two questions to ask you before we start with your story. The first question is the most important question of the day. Please don't lie to me, young man. How the bloody hell are you? Do you know what, Anthony? I'm absolutely spiffing. Thank you very much for asking. <laughs> and are you really? Listen, I really am. Um, I- I'm not here to flannel anybody i'm certainly not here to try and uh, 
pull the wool over anybody's eyes. This is me. This is Clive. Uh, and listen, I don't do this on my own. I, 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 my wife is an absolute force of nature. I've known her since I was about 13 years old. We've got an incredible family. So I've got I've got a support network that not everybody's got. And it's a huge, huge blessing. Um, so the short answer, Anthony, is definitely I'm great. Thank you very much for asking. Nice. Well, gratitude. You sound very grateful. Oh, it, it, I, I learned gratitude at, at a later age. I was a bit of a late bloomer in, in many aspects of my life and my personality. Gratitude is something that I've learned um, through making mistakes. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely grateful. Genuinely grateful. We're going to come back to gratitude. We're going to, I'm going to ask you some questions now, um, off topic. We'll talk about gratitude. Then we'll dive into why you and I are talking today. You mentioned um, off camera and on camera, you're a massive boxing fan, huge boxing nut. So come on, who is the greatest fighter of all? The greatest fighter and your favorite fighter. Oftentimes they're the same. It could be two very different people. Uh, there's so many, as, as you know. It's, it's... And, and Clive, listen, like, let's... So it's not awkward. I'll take myself out of it. I'll take so I'm, I'm excluded. I'm excluded. So feel free to to well, answer away. <laughs> there's a bit of a distance between the two of us, so I can, I haven't got to do too much groveling. But um, but I, I I think it always. I'm 53 years old. I was first introduced to boxing properly when my dad, uh, God rest his soul, spent the day with Alan Minter when Alan Minter mm. had just won. The WBC, I think, middleweight uh, title, yeah, middleweight, middleweight title, championship yeah. of the sorry, yeah, middleweight the championship of the world. And I mean, my dad, it was a corporate thing. My dad wasn't a boxer, but it, it was a corporate day. Anyway, dad comes home to his ten-year-old son, me, and gives me a black and white uh, postcard of Alan Minter on the bag. Uh, hi, Clive. Best wishes, Alan Minter. And I'm thinking, wow, look at this guy. You know, there's nobody tougher than my dad, but he looks tough, you know, and it got me <laughs> interested. Um, and I have been a lifelong fan of this incredible, wonderful, crazy sport ever since. Mm. So I grew up, obviously, with the Tyson effect and everybody else and uh, closer to home, the Nigel Ben Eubank things. And a lot of people say that Sugar Ray Robinson was the best actual boxer, uh, and I can't argue with that. But I always go back to Marvin Hagler, Anthony. I always go back to marvellous Marvin Hagler. Who who dethroned uh, Alan Minter? Yeah, of course, in such Alan. horrific racial sort of uh, scenes. It was just horrific. They couldn't even present him the belt, could they? He had to get out. But, but I think with Alan Minter, he came up the hard way. Uh, he didn't have the backing of the Don Kings and people like that. He really had to wait. Um, he was on the same bill as uh, Sugar Ray Leonard when Sugar Ray Leonard was getting, you know, £400,000 for a fight or dollars, and he was getting something like 4000 I mean, he really did come from the outside in. He never moved in weight. He was a true, he stuck to middleweight. He knew where he could perform the best. And, and what a guy. I mean, it's just so sad that he's no longer with us. But I think I'm going to stick to marvellous Marvin Hagler. What about you? Who's yours? Who's yours? So, favourite and greatest, you think? Yeah, Hagler? yeah, yeah. Both, yeah, nice. Mate, she was so tough, man. He was so tough. So, let me ask you this question. So, um, 
and for the, for the, for the non-boxing fans amongst us listening to this, if you're not like, we'll get into Clive's tremendous story in a moment. But this is fascinating. I don't talk boxing much anymore because I had a very my my my, my end. My farewell from the sport was quite painful, so I don't talk much about it. But like, I'm st- I still love the sport. It's given me this amazing life that I'm that I'm very grateful to have. So uh, now and then I have like little nod back of appreciation. This is my nod this month talking about boxing. Um, so do you think Hagler was robbed against Leonard that night in Vegas? I maybe I may, I maybe wouldn't. I think Rob's probably a bit too far because it was an incredibly close decision. But I do think he won. I do think he won. And, and I think he, he had to surrender so many things in the negotiations. You know, stuff has come out, hasn't it, over the years. And, you know, it was really in in uh, Leonard's favour. And Sugar Ray Leonard, I mean, what a, what a hero. Unbelievable. But no, I, I, I do think he won that fight, yeah. I think, I think for me, Leonard just nicked it. Leonard, you mentioned the hero. They always, they always say, don't meet your heroes. Um, I met Leonard a few times now. What a lovely man. Gave me gave me his email address. I can email him whenever I want. He always gets back to me straight away. Nicest, absolute sweetheart. Leonard is great. Uh, my favorite fighter, my favorite, Muhammad Ali. You know everything he did. In he 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 was more than boxing. You know, and, and at the time, boxing was the biggest sport in the world. He was more than boxing, and what he did, everything in and outside of the ring. And you know what, Ali, I'm sure you're aware of this. Ali, his three peak years, he never boxed. He never boxed. He just beat Cleveland Williams. They took away because he refused to fight the Vietnam War. I love that Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali is Mr. Getting Back Up. I love to have Ali on this podcast. Uh, God rest his soul. Uh, I took away his passport, took away his boxing license. He couldn't fight because he refused to fight a, a, a crooked war. Uh, not any war is, is good, obviously, but a really, really, really bad war. He refused to fight. And those three and a half years he didn't box were his peak years. And no one... He, no one would have, no one got to see how good he could have been in in, in his peak years. Um, anyway, Ali, my favourite, um, and and the greatest, Shigray Shigray Robinson, goodness me, watching his the old, I love the old, I'm old school in a lot of my aspects in life, and you know, like you, I'm a bit of a technophobe, but I don't like computers and stuff. That's why Lawrence is always here to help me out with the edit and and help me out with kind of setting his podcast up. Um, Leonard, but also Leonard as well. For as I mentioned, Leonard, you know, my favorite British fighter, uh, Michael Watson. Love Michael Watson. He was so good, man. But anyway, so skilled. He could do everything, and he was tough as old boots. But he was, he was, he was the best out of the, the British lot. The the Eubank, the uh, the Benz. The, he was the best one. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was the best one for me. And I think me. they say um, that too, as well, don't they, Anthony? Mm. I've heard them say and, before. Mm. And they don't say he he made Nigel Ben quit. Like the first fight I ever saw wasn't live. Watched on VHS tape. Michael Watson versus Eubank. Um, so Michael Watson versus Ben, uh, at Finsbury Park, and he stopped him in the sixth round. And and a bit like the Leonard, a bit a bit like Leonard Hagler actually. Like Ben, he came out with this snazzy thing. He had his hair done all all flash. And he had all the people in the army like playing him out. And he was the star. And Watson was he didn't even he was in the ring. Didn't even get an entrance. And then Watson boxed his ears off. Made him quit with a jab. Like, the guy was tough as old boots, a great consummate professional, and it's so sad happened to him. And no one, someone had, like, Michael, for those who don't know, Michael Watson, brain damage from a fight with Eubank, and he's, you know, he's not in the best of health anymore. And when something bad happens to somebody, that's when they get lavished with praise, because, oh, I know, he's now in a wheelchair and he can't walk and he, you know, can't talk very well. But, and they always say he's the best, but he, what, it, 
Axton at all. Like he was the best. They don't say that because he's just, he's in a bad way. Now he was the best. But um, anyway, this isn't a this isn't a boxing podcast. I want to move on into to real life. Um, so, Clive, why are we talking today? What what setbacks have you what challenge have you faced or are still facing now? And why are we? Why has great why has fate brought us here today talking about your story? Well, Anthony, there was a perfect storm brewing for me and for my loved ones that obviously I was unaware of and couldn't see coming. Um, so I'm going to take you to 2017 now. Um, I've enjoyed almost 20 year career with the Ministry of Defence. My wife and I got four children. We've now got grandchildren. So everything was normal. Um, my dad was suffering from Parkinson's disease and ultimately dementia. Uh, you know, and this was a an incredibly proud, independent, hardworking man. So to watch that deterioration was, was really, really difficult. My mum and dad got divorced when I was 10, um, but he had a partner, a wonderful, wonderful French lady called Valerie, and she stuck by his side right till the end, and she should have a, a medal the size of a frying pan, really, because it's not an easy thing to do. But, but so that was going on. Um, ultimately, my dad died in the in the 2018. I'd started up a small health and safety consultancy. I was busy, busy, busy. Uh, but but things weren't right, Anthony. Looking back, hindsight, as we say, is a wonderful thing. And getting a bit older, it gives you the ability to reflect properly. Um, and probably my concentration wasn't great. My patience wouldn't have been great. Um, and I just wasn't the normal attentive husband, dad, granddad, friend, that all these hats that I wear with pride. Um, and I, I'm, a, I'm a migraine sufferer. I, I've had migraines all my life and, you know, I had a stroke at home and there's, there, there's another podcast there somewhere. You'll have to get me on part, part two. But, so I, but I'm experiencing at this point some mild weakness in my left foot and my left ankle and I'm walking Alfie to school and I'm thinking oh, I'm going to fall over here and no pain, no discomfort. But So I was seeing a neurologist at the point at that time about my headaches. I, so I had all the scans to make sure there was nothing physically wrong and then they said it could be neurological. So I go and I mention it to the guy and, I, and, I, and he does a few rudimental tests. And ultimately, I mean, you know, this is probably a two year period. So I'm going every six months, getting no information. And you just life just gets in the way, doesn't it? Uh, ultimately, Anthony, the guy says to me, I'm sending you to Oxford uh, and I'm well, OK, that's fine. Why Oxford? He said it's a centre of excellence for motor neurone disease. And it, again, it, it, it kind of went over my head a little bit. I'm thinking motor neurone disease, Stephen Hawking. That's pretty much as far as my knowledge went. But I had the presence of mind to say to him, are you sending me to Oxford because you think I've got motor neurone disease or is it because you don't know? He says, oh, no, I think it's because you have. And you must understand that if you have, there's no treatment. Um, so the appointment will come through the post and I'll see you. See you again. Bye bye. And I was out the door. Um, so. You know, that triggered a, a real difficult period, you know, the communication between my wife then my children then friends. And but I just thought, do you know what? We're not going to talk about it to anybody. We'll just keep it to ourselves because I'm going to go to Oxford. They'll rule it out and they'll, they'll find out what's really going on. So the appointment came very quickly. My wife came with me and 
Anthony, they probably got about two years worth of tests in front of them then. And they really are an, a centre of excellence, probably in Europe, not just this country. The professors there, they're, they're world renowned guys. Um, so they've got all the nerve study tests, the scans and everything. So they do a few more of these similar rudimental tests. But very quickly, they said, no, Clive, you, you know, you've got a slowly progressive motor neuron disease, which is it, it's very individual if you've got mnd aggressively it stays aggressive it doesn't slow down and if you've got it slow touch everything that's wood it stays slow um but there is no treatment i mean they they give you a, a tablet called riliazole but this is something that might extend your life by two or three months if you've got the aggressive version and it was first prescribed over 30 years ago so there's there's nothing at all in the system i mean the motor neuron disease the motor neuron disease association does wonderful incredible work uh the late doddy weir the rugby player he raised millions and millions and millions and the point of that was it was to go into research it was to go in to try and find a cure obviously rob burrow the leeds rhinos hero is he's doing exactly the same thing with his best friend you know kevin sinfield and all they're, they're raising really good money and they're putting awareness into the disease but it's an incredibly cruel traumatic disease so my wife sitting next to me this is the lady i've known since i was 13 and she's in pieces you know and i you know i've just about still got red hair definitely still got a big gob I'm normally I can come out up with something to maybe alleviate things or to, or to crack a joke, but I'm stuck now. I'm lost. I don't know what to say to her to, to, to sort of make things better. So we end up wandering around the hospital and we got lots of help and support and loads and loads of leaflets and things. But ultimately, it's up to you to get back in your car and go home and and process it. Uh, and, and Victoria, my wife, she, she took control of the, of the communication, but. Here's a real important point that I want to make, Anthony. I wanted to make sure that this isn't something that, oh, you can't talk about that in front of Clive, you know, tread on eggshells. If you've got a question, ask somebody else. No. If you're my friend, if you're my son, whoever you are, if you if you want to ask me something, if you want to take the mickey out of me, we have a joke. Absolutely. You know, don't tread on eggshells. Don't feel uncomfortable. And if it's in a year's time before you somehow pluck the courage to break it and talk to me no problem i'm ready you talk to me when when you're ready um and that's worked well for us as a family um so so that's where i was at um but i then very quickly became absolutely gripped by severe acute anxiety if you'd have said to any of my friends, sorry, Anthony, well, I was cut you off there. Were you no, no, not at all. I was just there's, I mean, there's lot, there's lots there in 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 that bit. So motor neuron disease. For those that don't know, I'll be very honest with you, I don't know a great deal about it. Is it in the nicest possible way? Is it a death sentence? Is it is that is absolutely and, and, Anthony? It, it is. There's, there is no cure. Um, basically, the motor neurons in the in the motor section of your brain. They die. They die off. So the signals that your motor neurons send to your nerves, which then activate your muscles, every muscle in your in your body, um, slowly the signal doesn't doesn't get to where it's meant to get to, and that's the problem I have with my foot and my ankle. I I wear a splint when I walk. 
Um, my core strength's not great. You know, I can't walk as far or I can't stand very long, but I'm still very, very independent. Um, still driving, still out in nature every day. I do a volunteer gardening and things like that. So, but, 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 the, but the, the realization is that whatever your journey, you can't change that journey. Um, it is without doubt a death sentence. And I see an awful lot of poorly people when I go there, Anthony, that have got the aggressive version. And I remind myself every time I go, well, Clive, you're getting up, you're walking to your car, you're going to have a drink of water and you're going to get yourself home safe to your family. Not everybody can do that. I've without doubt got the best of a bad job. No question about it. Um, no question about it. <laughs> Yes, and I've got goosebumps hearing you say that. However, you said yourself, you've got the best of a bad job, but you still got a bad job. So you still got, you know, motor. So what I, so, and this is, this is going back to the gratitude thing you mentioned earlier, and I want to kind of, I, I, I didn't get back to it. How can you be, and I get it, you know, you're, you're not as, you're better than them. You know, the persona people that you see, you're in a much, but you're still, got it compared to somebody else who's 53 and haven't got it. So how, how are you grateful? How do you, and I ask because I generally want to learn. I want the listeners to learn. Like woe is me is the one of the worst states you can be in. Think, oh, it's not fair. It's not fair. Life's against me. That's a shit place to be in, in your life, but it's so easy to be in because we all go through shit. So, and so how do you, how do you wake up and be grateful when your left leg doesn't move properly, you've got a bit of splint in, you can't stand very long, maybe you go to the post office, you can't stand up, you're a bit wobbly, whatever. How? Why are you grateful? Because many 53-year-olds, they can walk normal, they can go to the pub, they can go for a jog, they can run after their grandkids. How do you remain grateful? I remain grateful for, first of all, because of the love and the support that I've got around me. Um, and I know that sounds a little bit corny, um, but... Somebody said to me once, they were t explaining their journey, and they said, Clive, I remind myself every day that I love and I am loved. Now, it's not that long ago, Anthony, I was far too big and cool to come out with a statement like that. But boy, oh boy, that's powerful. That it's the simplest, most powerful thing. It really hit me. Uh, I love and I am loved. So that gives me real pride. Um, you know, my boys, my boys are bigger than bigger and uglier than me now. Um, my grandchildren are absolutely poor buggers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you know hopefully, thankfully, they look after them. They take after them. <laughs> um, but so I I've learned through making and you'll hear in a minute some terrible mistakes and how to deal with it. Um, I've learned that I have the ability now to use my journey as a positive force. My story, and we have only even just scratched the surface so far, but hopefully by the end of this conversation, this will make sense. I have a gift now. I have a story that I'm fortunate enough to articulate. I'm, com I'm confident, I'm a confident guy. And I have the ability to talk to people whether it be a CEO of an organisation or the many, many inmates that I talk to in and out of prisons all over the country. And I, my story, when I tell it, it's not like that. It's like that. 
It's true. Those that are listening to this, like uh, Clive, just it's not a downward spot uh, trajectory; it's an upward trajectory, right? That's for those who haven't got the visual. No, no, at all, mate. No, this is this is great, and we're having a conversation. Yeah, this. uh, and this, your story is an uplifting, inspiring story. That's exactly why you're on a podcast. It's not a woe is me, feel sorry for myself podcast, which we can all get wrapped up in sometimes, especially when you've gone through the stuff you've gone through. Given Many people are given a terminal illness. You know, a lot of them, I do go on that downward spiral, the slippery slope floor, you know, rather than find the positives. I'm, I'm so, so eager to learn more about. So I want to stop interrupting. I want you to do your thing and, 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 and tell your story, please. No, well, thank you. So, so here I am, as not just me, me and my family. We we've got this diagnosis, and, and we're learning. We're learning to deal with it. We're learning to accept it. We're learning to see it and meet it head on. Uh, and I'm not in denial. I know exactly where this journey is going. But it's up to me how to steer that journey. It's up to me. Ooh, it, it, yes, it's def- yes, definitely up to me. You know, and, and it allows me, and this is another thing that I'm grateful for, it's another thing that's allowed me to look at life through a completely different lens. I, my perspective, and I completely lost perspective, that's next in my story. Perspective is, is our superpower, Anthony. It's so, so important, and, in, and, it, and losing that perspective is definitely a slippery slope. Um, and I lost that. But I look at life very, very differently. A quick two quick questions. Of course. What have they said in times of... I mean, I, I find it really hard talking to somebody who's being diagnosed with something like terminal. I don't want to say, look, how long you got? But yeah, when they... Yeah, yeah. Like, how, 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 long, how long have you got? Like yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, and secondly, you said your perspective has changed. What was your perspective pre-diagnosis and, and as it is now post-diagnosis? Mate, two, two really good questions there. So the first one, I can remember vividly, like it was yesterday. Um, we're sitting in that consultation room in Oxford and we've been told that without any shadow of a doubt, because I did say, well, do you not want to do any more tests? You know, do you want to, you know, can we come and try and do things a different way? Is there any grey area? Um, but obviously they don't give that diagnosis out until they're absolutely sure. Um, and my wife um, said ex- and was thinking exactly what you've just said. And she just said to, uh, I, it's either Professor Turner or Talbot, I always forget because that's the two names. And she said, what are we looking at? How, how long? And, and I can remember her saying, 20, 25 years? And he went, too, too optimistic, Mrs. Branson, you can't, no. Uh, just, we need to manage your expectations, is what he said. I didn't say a word. Uh, and my wife said, well, well, what, 15? You know, and it, what he actually said to her was 10 to 15. But in the paperwork that we got, in a week's time, you know, where you get a full right, writ, right, written report of the consultation. It said five to ten years. Um, and that's been quoted a few times. But thankfully, I'm living proof. You can kick that out the way. I'm not interested in your five or ten years. I'm, I'm doing better than that. Um, so I think I'm going to go much closer to my wife's estimation that I am theirs. So nice. And what, why is that? Why do you think that? 
Is because it a mental resolve? It is mental resolve, but it also is, without doubt, a, de- a dose of harsh reality. So, you know, I feel vulnerable, you know, many times. Everybody does. Um, and nobody likes to feel vulnerable. But I, I, I struggle with things this year that I was struggling, that I was doing easily when not thinking about last year. And it makes me think, and I, I am a realist. You know, I can't do the walks that we used to do. I just, I, I get stuck and I, I just can't do it. Like you said about the post office, if there's a queue, I don't even try it anymore. I don't want to embarrass myself. You know, sometimes if I stumble a little bit, if I turn around, you know, look, people, I know people look at me and think, he's drunk, you know, and, and it doesn't offend me. You know, I, I just think, well, I probably do look a bit like I've had a drink. Um, but but it's every day. It's every day's reality. And, and, and it's allowing me to just... You know, distance adds enchantment to the view, doesn't it? it? It just allows me to sit back and look at it and think, OK, well, if you'd have looked at the trajectory that was suggested and look at me now today, they are genuinely way out. I should have been in a wheelchair by now. I should be possibly re- receiving oxygen because obviously, ultimately, the muscles, it stops you being able to breathe. Um, I do sometimes have a lazy swallow. Uh, but I have medication for that. Um, so it's everyday life. It's everyday life that that bolsters my belief that I've torn that um, time frame up up in in two pieces, and I've got my own. That's amazing. Distance adds enchantment to the view. It really does. That's nice. I love that. I'd love to say that's that. mine. I'd love to say that's mine. It's not. Have it. Pinch it. Yeah. Pinch yeah. it. It's yours now. Yeah. Edit this and we'll tell everybody I, I thought about it. <laughs> but it, 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 it's a beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And, it, and, it, and it's true. Explain that. Explain that. Is that basically. Explain what you mean by that. Because sometimes when we're faced. Your quote. Your quote that you, that you just made up and invented on the Getting Back Up podcast. Explain that quote. Well, obviously, I can explain it because it's mine. Um, <laughs> it, 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 I think about it a lot. And, and it, what it does, and perhaps this is because I'm an old thing now, but distance adds enchantment to the view. It means you're allowed to look at something one step removed and look at it with open, honest eyes with perspective. Now, when I was younger, I didn't have the maturity or the ability to do that. I was very reactionary. Um, you know, I would probably have, I'd have had a row in an empty house, Anthony. You know, it, it, you know, so I didn't have the ability. I was reactional. Whereas now, um, I definitely, particularly if it's a tricky situation or a sensitive one, uh, it doesn't have to be about me. It could be about anything. Um, I have the ability now with maturity to just to step one back and think, hang on, leave that there. I'm going to go back to that this afternoon or this evening or tomorrow. And I'm going to look at it with some fresh eyes and some new perspective. And it normally, normally allows me clarity. It gives clarity so that when you do have to make a decision, even if that decision is just deciding how it's going to make you feel, you get a clearer perspective. Yeah, that's brilliant, mate. I love that. That's one thing I'm taking away from this podcast, 100%. And do you know what I'm going to do, mate? When I say that quote, I'm going to pinch it like you pinched it. (laughs) I'm going to say it's mine. (laughs) Do it. Do it. (laughs) So back to to your story. So I I interrupted. You said you you, you were crippled by anxiety. And you mentioned before, you know, a big gob, redhead. Um, You can have a a row with yourself in a house. Um, 
not somebody that would suffer from anxiety, who I know somebody that suffer from like panic attacks. Um, so to dive into that one, please, mate. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. If you'd have said to any of my friends, colleagues in the MOD, anybody, you know, Clive, is he a candidate for have his mental health compromised? Would he get nervous or anxious? Let's see, you must be joking. Clive, he's the one we go to if there's a problem. He's the one that turns up at the industrial tribunals or whatever I used to do. No, absolutely not. But this this actively demonstrates once again that anxiety, depression, stress, all these things they can hit anybody at any time. And a lot of the time, they're not that far away. Um, and we all deal with things different. We all have different filters and we all have the ability to absorb different levels of it. But I I went, and grieving for my dad was a big part of this, but I didn't realise it because I didn't understand grief, Anthony. I, I hadn't lost anybody real, really close to me. I didn't know, I didn't understand that it was a, a different process for everybody so that was in the background obviously i got the diagnosis i'm thinking hang on a minute you know I, I, i'm i'm the provider what's going to happen now what about my wife what about the bills what blah, and all the all that stuff i became so anxious i went from being in the car a lot to not in the car at all to being outside to being in the house to being in the bedroom to being under the bed under the duvet within probably two three weeks maximum um and i was terrified strong word that if i can just explain that i can remember like it was yesterday the terror because if it was raining or windy i could see that the roof of my house was coming off there was no no whiffs or buts it was going to be ripped off and what am i going to do then you know, what are we going to do? How am I going to protect my family? It was so, so real. I was shaking. I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. I couldn't communicate. So ultimately, you know, my wife's thinking, well, who do you, who, who, who on earth do you go to? Do you have a problem like this? You know, and she, she, she was eventually um, guided towards something called a crisis team. The crisis team came out to visit me twice. And then ultimately I was taken into psychiatric hospital and, uh, and, oh, and I stayed in, in two psychiatric hospitals for a total of 10 weeks, which, was a, which is quite a long period of time. A scary place, Anthony. Um, scary yeah, place. Explain, ex explain what that's like. Or what, what, kind of, what kind of thing do you do? Is it, it, like, you know, for my, and again, for my lack of any knowledge of psychiatric hospitals, you're in a, you're in a straight jacket, in a padded room, sitting there, and you're shaking, getting fed like tablets to kind of calm you down. Is that right? Is the depiction on films correct or is it? Well, there's certainly, there is certainly a thick end of that, no doubt about it. I was taken in and, you know, you, you sort of, they're assessing you immediately because they can sense how you're feeling and, and how you're, you're reacting. I was taken into a room. I was told that this would be my room, uh, but, I, you know, I didn't really know what they were saying or what they were doing. Um and, and there's a structure and there's a system. There's a lot of nurses. There's a lot of nurses that are, you know, look more like bouncers. Um, and, and there's a lot of really poorly people in there. You know, there's a lot of noise. Um, there's a lot of confrontation. Uh, and there's a lot of fear in there. Uh, but there's also an awful lot of rehabilitation as well. Did you, of course, I'm sure they do. Uh, uh, the job that they do is a very hard job. The nurses and the doctors in there, and it may be very difficult. So fair play to them. Did you feel 
renew it around the noise. Oh, 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 let me let me preface this. I've had many operations in my life from the injuries and boxing and, and so on, so, so forth. And even when I'm in pain, I feel like I'm still an athlete, like the guy that could like, an athlete, right? And then a good hospital and I'm around people that are like, haven't used a bedpan or they're cream, screaming and they're moaning and hearing the machines beeping. I feel ill. I feel sick. I feel like a wounded soldier. So when you entered the psychiatric hospital, did you ever feel crazy? I felt, I felt like, okay, well, this is me now. This is my world then. That guy there that's next to me that can't help it, but he's screaming his head off. Um, and he clearly is not exactly sure of where he is. Uh, there's a guy over there that's looking at me like he really does want some sort of confrontation because he just feels that I'm new. I've just come in and he, he feels he's got to do that, you know, and I, I just, I don't want to martyr myself here. There was, I wasn't scared. There was no fear. I was poorly myself, you know, absolutely poorly. So it took me looking back. It would, it took me a good two weeks to regain any form of genuine effective perspective to then allow me to slowly get better. And it, I'll tell you exactly how it happened. My wife was obviously visiting me. Um, it t- I, it, I, I'm told after that a couple of my really, really close lifelong friends came to visit me. And it was... You can't, you can't remember that. You can't remember your Not, not the early you. days, no. I definitely no. can't. It was all a bit of a blur and they were exper- experimenting with different medications and things. But I do remember sitting there with my wife and again the noise and and the chaos and I just saw her for who she is I just thought hang on a minute that's Vic we are a team um she needs me she's coming here to visit me where for the first time I thought what where's she gonna go oh hang on a minute she's got to get in the car she's got to go home and she's got to do all the normal mundane stuff you know, keep everybody going, probably answer a million questions and then come back today and visit me all over again. And I just thought, wow, you know, I, I really need to take stock and I really need to get back on that team. And it was perspective that did that for me, uh, which is why I keep repeating the word because it's so important. So then I began, I began to become more alert, be more accepting of of my position uh i then was having consultations with psychiatrists and they were obviously pleased with the feedback that they were getting at this point i was then allowed some time out on the grounds with my family on visits then i was allowed uh half days at home and then ultimately overnights at home and this was a strange period and it sounds really strange saying this but I loved being at home and I loved seeing everybody, but the hospital was my safe place. Isn't that bizarre? And it might be because of responsibility or I'm not, if I'm honest, I don't really know. But I was almost begging the nurse for some reassurance that that room would still be open for me when I got back the following day. It was almost like a safety net. And yet I'm talking about a room in a psychiatric hospital. Um, But eventually that, of course, waned. And the time I spent with my family, I slowly started to absorb all that love and support. Uh, And and ultimately, I was allowed home. Now, 
this is a real crucial part of my journey and it'll be something that you can resonate with Anthony with your incredible inspirational journey hmm. I had no it is it really is I know exactly what you're going to say for a number of years I lost my identity I didn't all those hats that I wore organically naturally with huge pride I'm thinking well Here's my son, but he's talking to me. He's a little bit on eggshells. He doesn't want to say the wrong thing. My wife's fussing around me. She wants to make sure I'm okay and comfortable. And, you know, and there was little things. You couldn't close the door because I, I didn't say anything, but they, I, I, I couldn't cope with the door being closed. I couldn't drive. They took my license off me for 12 months anyway, but that was fine. But I couldn't, I couldn't. I tried, I tried going to the supermarket with my wife, but it, it was just the people I couldn't be around people I thought they were all looking at me and of course they weren't but this was a because I was I'd got a, an identity crisis I'm no longer the guy that did everything naturally before I'm not providing for my family but guess what I'm also a burden as well you know if I if as I said before if I'm a problem now what am I going to be like in five ten years time they don't need this they don't need this and 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 i i had to find and forge in my own mind before i tried to articulate it or or manifest it in any actual physical actions i had to accept my position and decide how am i going to move forward not sit still definitely not look in the rearview mirror i need to be productive positive and i need to be dad granddad friend again and once i accepted that and once i could see it as a bit of a challenge it's a bit scary um but it's like anything if you if you if you if you've got a problem or the doctor says there's something wrong with you if you accept it and if you recognize it with true reflection and true honesty you're in a better position to deal with it um yeah and and that's exactly. I guess there's a. Um, it's, it's natural to like want to deny it at first, isn't yeah, it? It's that natural denial, of course. Obviously, the the stages of, of it, it takes a while to get to that acceptance level. But once oh, you yeah. do accept, you can then actually deal with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, you, well, obviously, Anthony, you, you know, on a, on a huge scale. I mean, I, we'll we'll perhaps have this conversation on another day. But being a boxing fan, and and being accepted into the boxing fraternity which i which i'll get to in a minute but the challenge that you guys and girls have when you've when you've been a professional fighter whether you're approaching retirement whether you get shoved into retirement through no fault of your own too early such as you sir um whatever the circumstances around that retirement the identity crisis that you guys and girls must face is just, I can't imagine it. Absolutely everything, your whole DNA has been engineered to be a fighter. Your training, your, your, your social world, you know, it dictates your relationships. It dictates everything. Anyway, listen, don't get me started because um, we'll, we'll be here all day. But I... But I Go on, you're a really knowledgeable man, you know. You're a really knowledgeable man, and you're really well-rounded. And I can, 
I can tell from all the things that happened to you for the last uh, few years, maybe you weren't that guy before. You know, but I can see you mentioned earlier that distance makes the view more enchanted. And um, like the distance, all the things you've done, I, I can, without knowing you from before, I can, I, I can see your growth, you know, um, your perspective on stuff. And that's um, when you think you're at the top of the game of anything and you, don't, you haven't got learned anymore, that's when you come, you get a quick slap around the face. <laughs> a quick reality comes and says, actually, maybe you're not so good as you, as you, as you think you are. Um, and I'll touch upon something you mentioned earlier. I mentioned how you weren't a guy for you weren't a candidate for like anxiety or going down. You no, know, the now I've never been to anything. You no, know, nowhere near to the you know the the depths in which you've sank to. And I'm so proud of you for kind of climbing back up and 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 being you again and and being so inspiring now and, and sharing your story, which we'll come on to. Um, but same thing with me, mate. I thought I thought like panic attacks and anxiety. I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was a load of rubbish. I knew it was a real thing, but I thought that stuff can happen to me. I'm, I'm, I'm hard as fuck. I'm tough. I'm a boxer, junior Olympic champion, junior world champion, Olympic medalist. I'm hard. Like I'm resolute. I'm resilient. Like I, I can't. You know. I'm sure I can get the ump now and then, but man, I had, a, I, had a, I had a panic attack a number of years ago. I had to go to hospital. I generally thought I was having a brain aneurysm. I generally thought I was. I was. I was going to die. I remember I got. I was in America. I was by myself. Well. I was, to a degree, I had my roommate with me that I have a friend of mine, but he's my roommate. It wasn't, you know, my wife or a family member. And then I said to him, I went, I said, mate, I said, call the ambulance. I went, oh, fuck, I'm thinking about having a, having a brain aneurysm. And he, uh, and the poor thing panicked and he, he Googled, he said, his car is right there. We were at a restaurant. And it crept up on me. I had no idea. I had no idea. I'd never, I'd never so much as... I've had bad days. I've been through a lot of stuff in my life. And obviously, a lot of people who said to me, you specialise in this, like, I can't believe it took you so long to have one. And when it came, boy, did it come. Goodness me. And um, and he, he said, mate, there's a hospital five minutes away. So I will drive you there. I said to him, I haven't got five minutes. I generally thought of the next five minutes. My uh, my mum had a brain aneurysm um, just before our boxing Olympics, actually. And... And when, and thankfully, she survived it. And um, when we've spoken about it, the symptoms that she experienced just before it happened was what I was experiencing. So I was sure from mm, from the head punches I've taken in my life, and as a wrestler, the bang my head on the floor and stuff. I thought there was terror. You mentioned earlier, terrifying. Terrifying is a really powerful word, and the difference between being a bit frightful, being a bit scared, and terrified. I was terrified in this moment in a country by myself, in, in, in a foreign country, my, my friend rang the ambulance and a fire brigade came. I said to him, mate, I said, I haven't got five minutes. And a fire brigade came and um, took him to the ambulance and he, he, <laughs> I was panicking. I, I laugh now to kind of like to trivialise it. But as I mentioned, it was a very scary process. And, my, and he, he strapped me down on the bed. I'm thrashing around. I'm, I'm going nuts. I'm, I'm a big dude, sixteen and a half stone, and you know I can, you know, obviously have a go if I need to. And the poor thing, the poor fireman, has strapped me down in the bed, and he went to me, "Calm down, sir. Calm down, sir." He said, "You're just having a panic attack. Done on my vitals and stuff." I went, "You fucking what? I thought I'm now gonna die, and this telling me I'm having a panic attack. I went, I don't have panic attacks. It's not me. Do you know who I am? And I'm thrashing around to the hospital. And he went to me. It's just a panic attack. I was like, oh, it's just a panic attack. And 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 an, an MRI scan of my brain was like something like three grand, something silly. 
And I thought, well, let me just have an MRI scan. And she went, look, we, we see these all the time. It's a panic attack. It's an extreme one, but you, you can get an MRI scan, but it's like three grand. And I was like, oh. I almost wanted to have the MRI scan to prove that it wasn't just a panic attack. In the end, it, it, it was just a panic attack. And I was like, oh, this mental health thing is serious. It's real. Even happens to, and I quote, people like me that isn't a candidate for this stuff. So, yeah, man, I mean, it's literally, it's, it's our mental health. And this is what I do. I've, I've got a fitness app and my mental, and, and, I, and I focus on mental, I call it mental fitness. I focus on mental health, mental fitness, just as much as physical fitness because we need to look after our mental, with health. Like people go to the gym or you work out, do some press-ups, go for one, and people, our physical fitness can improve. Um, the mental health is the exact same. If we spend time on our on our mental fitness, we become mentally healthier, and and these things. And I think we need to look at mental health the same as we do our physical health. And that's what I try to do in my Agogo Fitness app. Um, mate, I, I basically just wanted to share that story with you, just to, and 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 the listeners that like you can be the biggest, toughest person in the world. You can think you're bulletproof. None of us are bulletproof. Every single one of us on the planet. If we get shot in the head with a bullet, we're gonna die. That's gonna that's, it's gonna happen. None of us are bulletproof. Our emotion, and we need to look after ourselves. We can make ourselves as strong and robust as possible, but you only do that by working on yourself. And I can tell, mate, from the, the way you're talking, you've really worked on yourself these last you know, five, ten years, and you should be very proud of yourself. And and I'm, I'm really proud of you for, for 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 where you are in your journey now. So do you want to kind of back to you, mate? The emphasis is back on you now. So following that, so where are you now? So what do you do now? Okay. Well, firstly, thanks for sharing that that story because that'll resonate with a lot of people because of who you are and you are very much, you know, in some people's eyes, you know, a real genuine tough guy and there's no two way mentally and physically. So to share that vulnerability is very powerful. So, you know, I think you've done a wonderful thing there. But so, so where was I? So this is exactly what I what I did, and I smile because. Um, I'm an open book, Anthony, and I, I, I just tell it like it is. So I'm at home, there's nobody in, and I'm thinking, what can I do? I, I, you know, I need to do something. So I can cycle a little bit better than I can walk, you know, as long as it's not impact-driven, is it, isn't it? As long as it's on a, on, a, on a level ground. So I got a pen and a pad, and I wrote down 12 times, hello, my name's Clive, I'm 47, whatever I was at the time, and I'm looking for some light gardening or maintenance work. And I got on my bike and I cycled within a mile, yeah, within a mile radius of the poshest, nicest houses that I could find. A lot certainly are not a lot posher and nicer than mine. And I'm thinking he's not cutting his grass. I'll put one in there and she's not cutting her grass in there. And Anthony, I tell you the truth about six or seven of them came straight back to me and I'm still doing it today. I've been in someone's garden this morning uh, only for a couple of hours where I used to be able to do, you know, a bit more. They're all just wonderful people. They trust me. I've got keys and padlocks and alarms and all sorts of these places. And I just go in and I help whatever's needed on the day. And, that you know, they know my position because sometimes it's very obvious. But again, you know, we have a laugh and a joke. It's, it's open. Sometimes they want to talk about it or ask me how I'm doing or sometime, sometimes they're not. And I wouldn't be without it. You know, it, being outside uh, in the fresh air, cold day today, but I, I, I still went, still enjoyed it. Uh, listen to my podcasts, listen to some music. 
Uh, not the stuff that my 16-year-old listens to, because I'm sorry, that's just not music. It's just not. But I listen to anything and everything, and, and, it, and it's incredible. So that's what I started. What you listen to? What was on a podcast? That I was on the uh, Spotify today. Well, I, in the old days, if it wasn't Paul Weller, I wasn't listening to it. Um, but I listen to all sorts of stuff now. I, you know, I, I, I listen to some rock stuff. I listen to R&B. I listen to Motown. You know, and then there's new characters. There's, uh, do you know what? I saw somebody on Graham Norton the other night, an American guy, and I think his name was Teddy Swims or something. What Teddy Swims fuck? on mate, mate. He's my mate. Your joke. He's my mate. Teddy, yeah, mate, he's my oh, mate. Teddy. Big lad. Teddy. Yeah, mate. Teddy Swims head. Teddy Swims is a really good friend. But he's on the Graham Norton show, was he? Listen, that guy can sing. Boy, mate, he boy. is. Oh. So he's from Georgia. So I'm, I'm, I'm in Atlanta, oh. Georgia, where, where I live now. He's from Georgia. He's a lovely guy. We actually, we're friend. We got connected by DDP. Uh, he's my wrestling mentor. And uh, he's a really good friend of mine. The boy can sing. So one of my favorite things to do is I don't drink that heavily anymore. But if I do have a few glasses of wine or a few shandies on a, on a, on a, on a Saturday night, my favourite thing to do on a Sunday morning is put Teddy Swims on. He doesn't. He's got some unbelievable songs himself. His songs are, are great. But I love his. I love his covers. He does some great some some covers which you could you couldn't like. You think of a, an original song. How can that be made better? Not better per se, but just different. And he's oh goodness me on a Sunday. If you ever hung over, listen to this. If you're hung over, Teddy Swims. He's got tattoos over his head. But he's and when you and when you think like oh tattoos covered in tattoos you think of a, and it's just natural to think of oh he must be a certain way he's an absolute sweetheart he's a teddy bear he's such a sweet kind gentle beautiful human being I love that guy and he can sing so well how random is that you'll catch him on catch up or however that works but it was on last weekend and he sang I've never heard of him I've never seen him. But I, I normally just delete things, but I've kept that on and I've listened it listened to it back and I just thought, what a raw talent. He deserves worldwide fame and I'm sure he'll get it. So Yeah, and, I, and I'm going to send him this clip. I'm going to send him this, mate. Oh, he's because, unbelievable. Yeah, you know, so it's always nice to hear stuff, you know. So. He blew me away. He, he, he's one of these guys that he could, he, he, he could stand up in a pub and just sing. No support, no backing, no preparation. He's just got real, genuine, God-given talent, and, and he silenced the room instantly. What a guy! Yeah, and 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 the most raucous of pubs as well. Like he goes to pub like Meathead Pub, people like where singers don't go to. He could he, he could give him thirty seconds, and even the toughest guy is there, open mouth, going. Oh yeah. So um. Anyway, this isn't the Teddy Swims. He'll he'll get a go on the podcast at some point. He's gonna he's gonna join us with his presence. But this is this is this is Clive Branson. Uh, so yeah, carry on, mate. So you listen to, and, and and all that in in the garden and stuff. You're you're moving uh, back to fitness, like fitness is stuff. Using on on the bike, you're moving. You're you're getting your endorphins pumping around the body. Your endorphins are a natural painkiller. That's what endorphins are. They're painkillers. You're getting dopamine in your brain. You're getting serotonin. Which uplifts your mood, so you you maybe can't you know go to a gym and blast anymore, but you're getting your movement, you're getting your activity, and also you're meditating, listen to podcasts, you're you're listening to to music, Teddy swims, you're making yourself feel good, um, like that 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 is protecting your physical health and your mental health, 
And that's why you're able, you mentioned it perfectly earlier, another aspect of physical, another aspect of mental health, and I'm very passionate about this subject, is um, mental fitness, sorry, is when you, like in like in, in physical fitness, you push it and you get fitter, you get fitter over time, and you can do things more when you spend time on your physical fitness that you couldn't beforehand. Same thing with mental fitness. Now, I think me and you are kind of similar characters, Um when you, you know younger, something happens, you react. Finger pointing, shouting, swearing, you're reacting. Time and often comes maturity, but maturity, you're also spending time working on your mental fitness. You've got more of a capacity, so rather than reacting, you respond. Now, there's a massive difference between reacting and responding. Reacting is emotional, it's immediate. Respond, you may take a beat. It could be a second, it could be 10, it could be a day. But responding, and when you respond, you respond in a different way to then you react. That's all mental fitness, and you're training it every single day, and you're adding to that resolve, and you're a healthier person battling the, the, the disease that, you know, you're fighting against it. And Rocky says it's not about how hard you can hit, but how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. And you're, you're getting hit by this motor neuron disease and all the other things you got, but you keep moving forwards. And I'm gonna, honestly, I'm gonna, I said it earlier, this is your story. I'm going to stop talking. I just, want, I just want to amplify, you know, the things you're just saying. You're just dropping these things out of your mouth like they're not a big deal. They're huge deals, mate, and you should be very proud of yourself. Anyway, please Thank continue. Thank you, Anthony. So, so I'm really proud of the fact that I'm still helping these people proud that they trust me proud that i'm as you say mentally and physically active um but one of the podcasts i was listening to it, it got a bit of a medical element to it and, and and they said you know all guys when they're approaching when they're in their 40s certainly when they're approaching 50 they should get their psa count checked uh which is to do with your prostate uh, now, I, that hadn't registered with me because I got absolutely no symptoms, no concerns about it at all. But I have to give blood regularly, uh, which is ironic because I'm the biggest girl's blouse in the hospital. You know, you get the needle out. I'm, I'm the guy that flakes out. My wife had, a, had a, a tooth out in hospital a few years ago and I went with her to support her and to be there. Five minutes into the procedure, I passed out, hit the deck and they had to stop what they were doing to come and tend to me. Um, so that, 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 that's, that's how tough I am, Anthony. So Bloody attention seek, if you ask me. It's all about the attention. I say that to the kids all the time. It, listen, you don't want to play top trumps with me. Um, so, that, <laughs> um, so I said to my doctor, look, on the next round of blood tests, because everybody needs to, this is a serious message. Initially, there's no difficult, uncomfortable physical examination anymore. You can just have your PSA count checked in a blood test. So I do that and I get a call and he says, listen, Clive, your PSA count is so low. It's 3.2. But that 0.2 has triggered me into, into a process. And I have to, whether I like it or not, refer you to a urologist. But but. But it's point two over. You've got no symptoms, just but you've got to go through the process. But for goodness sake, don't be worrying about it. So I said, no problem. Went to see the urologist and he said, fantastic guy, amazing guy. And he said, um, I'd be happier if we did an MRI scan. So we'll go back two weeks later, had the MRI scan, go back to see him. 
I'd be happier if we did a biopsy, Clive. Um, so I said, okay, so I have the biopsy, which in itself, you know, it's embarrassing, it's difficult, you know, it's 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 not painful, but it's uncomfortable. Uh, but I had the biopsy. Go back to him a fortnight later, stage two prostate cancer. Didn't see that one coming, Anthony. Did not see that one coming. I'd got one of my sons, Charlie, with me for this appointment, and I, this is the truth. I looked at him and I smiled and I said, Charlie... How are we going to go back and tell your mum this? You know, should we even go back and tell your mum this? It's getting a little bit ridiculous. I joke that I'm a one-man drain on the NHS, uh, but it, but it, it's absolutely true. So my initial reaction is, well, you can have your prostate taken out. You know, it's an operation. It's not ideal, but it, it's one less thing to worry about. And he said, Clive, you need to slow down. He said, I've done thousands of these, but I've never done it on anybody with motor neuron disease before. I need to do my research, come back in a fortnight's time, which I did. And I said, that's fine, doctor. Do what you've got to do. But me and you are best friends. Get your gown ready. Get your scalpels out because you are taking this prostate out. I'll see you in a fortnight. Uh, so I go back and he really had done his research. He Not just Oxford, they're the main people that, that he took direction from, but he'd even emailed and spoke to surgeons around the country, you know, and he showed me this. He said, Clive, not one of them uh, has advised me to do this operation. It's more invasive than you think. And because your trajectory of your slow, progressive motor neuron disease is what it is, he said, I affect a number of muscle groups when I do this operation. And the fear is that because of the motor neuron disease, the muscles won't be strong enough to bounce back. And that could, in, that could involve, we're talking about the ability to talk, you could be incontinent, you know, this is serious things. So there's absolutely no way you can have this operation. So if I'm honest, it took me a while to admit to that. I still sort of was trying to push him and saying, yeah, but look, I've, I'm proving them wrong. I'm this, I'm that. Um, but but it, it, it wasn't going to happen then and it's not going to happen now. So I was having quarterly blood uh, tests, which the PSA count has grown, has gone up slightly. I'm on five or six now. So... Very long story short, they're now saying we should be doing some sort of treatment. Um, it's it's showing signs of growth. I had a biopsy about six months ago. It's still contained, but because you, you, you're still fit and well, we're going to start treatment. And that will either be external radiotherapy, which which is great, but it has you know potential risks. It can affect your bladder and all the other areas that are so, so close to, to this beam therapy. Or, and this is another really important message to, to, to the guys out there, that there's another option and it's called brachytherapy. And I, I thought he was making it up. I thought, well, what on earth is that? And it transpires that it's a much less invasive operation. They insert radioactive seeds into your prostate and they leave it there. And the, and the, the radiation kills the cancer off over a period of time. And this doctor showed me the evidence of the success rates uh, for people that have had the brachytherapy and people that have had the prostate removed. And the brachytherapy success rate was almost as high as the removal. Because when he said it to me, I was like, yeah, doc, you, listen, I know you're only saying that because you won't take the damn thing out. But, but no, and I've done my own research. So I'm awaiting an appointment. I've had 
a full body scan about three weeks ago to make sure that it hasn't spread anywhere else. And I haven't had the results of that yet. Uh, but one way or the other, I will be starting some form of, of, of treatment, which which I embrace. You know, I'd have it done this afternoon. Bring it on because zap this damn thing. Give me a blood test to show that it's gone back down to one or whatever it's going to go to. And I can get on with it and get, you know, get back to what I'm doing. So, so, so that's where I am with, with, with cancer. You know, it, it is and that's now that's, and that, this, that's this is present day right now today. So yeah. to, I've actually chased the urologist before this uh, wonderful conversation because a, I want the results of the scan, but B, I want the consultation that will tell me, okay, Clive, we'll press the button on that treatment, you know, what are we waiting for, guys? Come on, get get on with it. So that that that's 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 now. That's very real now. Are you feeling exhausted now, Anthony? Mate, I just I just no, the, the, the opposite, the, the, the actual opposite. I feel, I feel energized. I really do, mate. You have this energy about you, and I'm we're we're, we're thousands of miles. I'm in Atlanta. You're back in the home country. You're back in England, and um. But I feel it, mate. I feel how effusive you are, and I'm being. I'm, I feel energized. I, and you're like, I want it now. I want to get like, let's do this after. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Really? Just, get the urologist on the phone now. Get him. Get him to diagnose. Um, give me the treatment right now, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm right with you. You have this charm, an enigmatic charm about you, and I'm just, oh, mate. I'm just. I'm, I'm Team Clive, mate. I'm, I'm Team Easy, Clive. Mate, what, really an honor. what an honor for you to say that. Amazing. Well, I, I, as I said to you at the start, I've got some incredible team members in Team Clive, God-given, heaven-sent members. And, and yeah, back to that uh, quote where I love and I am loved. It, yeah, I'm blessed. But thank you for saying that because this is, okay, we're going to get to this now. So, so, so that's very real and that's going on. So I'm doing my gardening. Uh, I can drive again now. That's that's amazing. I have to have it. My driving license has to be done every 12 months, which is which is fair enough. Um, and something else that I did while I was sitting there and I'd got that pen. I've got an awful lot of books, Anthony, uh, and they're predominantly either boxing biographies. They are self-made uh, guys and their stories and true crime I'm actually quite interested in true crime so I don't I don't do novels or I don't do fiction but the books I've got are just unbelievable but I couldn't read I couldn't you know I don't know what it was I, I couldn't I certainly wouldn't have been able to open this laptop so I had rediscovered my books and, I, and a, a book that I read was an autobiography from Jamie Moore now, Jamie Moore... Cool. Terrific fighter. Yeah, he's labelled the fighter's fighter, isn't he? And I, because of me being honest that I'm a genuine fan, I had followed his career. You know, I, he, was, he was something else. So I, I, read his, I read his book. And I don't know why I did this. I've never done it before and I've never done it since. But I tried to Google where his gym was because I wanted to write to him and say, look, I've read your story. It's inspiring. I, by the way, your career was incredible. If I ever got the opportunity to shake your hands, that'd be great. But either way, I just wanted to tell you the book was great. Well done. Leave my details. Quickly, he tells me that this went, it went to the wrong address. It went to a gym that wasn't even open. 
he was at the bank by the post by the gym that he says he never goes to and the post office the postman was walking past and said jamie i've got a letter here for you i've got nowhere to put it do you want it or shall i chuck it in the van he said i'll give it here so i'm at home my phone rings no no number so i ignore it it rings again vicky says you need to answer it so i'm sitting there and i says hello hello mate's jamie and i went jamie you he says jamie moore you muppet well this is like this is like Muhammad Ali coming on your podcast. You know, he's a hero of mine. I can't, I can't, I can't overestimate what you guys and girls mean to me and what you give to a boxing fan like me. I can't ever overestimate that. So, yeah. what is it, mate? What is what, what? What is it? What? Why? Why do boxers like inspire you so much? What is it? Because, because of your commitment, your dedication, your ability people say brave right some people have called me brave before i'm not brave bravery is when you see hear and smell the fear and still decide to go towards it that's a brave man or a brave woman you guys take that to a whole new level people say oh i could do that or i could do this they they have got no idea the level of how you completely dedicate your life and what you give in that ring is just it completely i'm totally in the zone whether it's watching a fight sparring whatever it might be i'm in awe of it and i'm interested and i'm interested in the intricacies i'm interested in why a southpaw is so difficult why two southpaws stand on each other's feet all these things so i've learned it and i, I and i i'm a bit of a student of the game so that's maybe I haven't explained it very well, but what you do completely takes me in. So Jamie said, well, come to the gym. And I said, Jamie, you don't understand. You're going to regret saying that, mate, because, I mean, I'll get in the car now. And he laughed and joked. So again, long story short, he was training Carl Frampton at the time. Me and my wife and my youngest went with me. They treated us like, you know, like celebrities. They were treated red carpet treatment. And I ended up back at Jamie's house and I'm sitting in and my son's got the Lonsdale belt round him. And I'm sitting there with Carl Frampton, who's training for his next fight over in America. And, and we're just talking about boxing. And I'm thinking, is this, is, am I dreaming this? Is this actually happening? And I, me and Jamie, he's my mate. I see him regularly. I go to the gym. I go to other gyms with him. And just as a mate, I just sit in the background. I've met lots of people. I met Sean O'Hagan there and what a one-off character. And he's been amazing. You know, he welcomes me at the gym with Josh and, and Maxie and all those guys. So, listen, the fact that the boxing fraternity has allowed me in, somebody like me, it's I genuinely pinch myself every time I go. But it keeps me buoyant. I absolutely, I treasure it and I, I respect it. Uh, and it's a real privilege to be invited into these gyms when I am invited in. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's just my thing. So so that massively, massively helped. And, and uh, you know, it's taken my level of appreciation to it. And I never thought it could go even higher. But seeing it firsthand, I mean, you'd pay to see some of these spars. Um, so that's pretty much where I am where I am today, Anthony, and, uh, you know, I, 
the motor neurone disease, it will just carry on. Um, I go every six months and I get my checks. The prostate cancer is about to be addressed, so that'll be a bit of a challenge. Um, but I thought to myself, I'm not going to just sit here and wait till I can't do, do this gardening. What can I do? And I built a career in the Ministry of Defence by talking to people. And I literally Googled on my phone how to become a public speaker. And it came up with speaker bureaus. Well, what's a speaker bureau? And I just dialed them, Anthony. No idea what I was going to say. No prep. And I thought, I've got a story. I, I, I'm prepared to no holes barred with one intention. And joking apart, it's not the attention. It's because if it resonates and if I can actively demonstrate, stand in front of a guy or girl and say, these are some of the things that you can do in life that will genuinely, genuinely help you if and when your mental health is compromised. Because they worked for me. And some of the things that didn't work for me. And it gives me so much. The positivity that I try and give out bounces back. And as I said earlier, it might be a room full of barristers and CEOs in, in, in London somewhere. Or it might be in one of the high security prisons and I talk to the to these guys and girls in there. It's always the same. The feeling is the same. The engagement's the same. The feedback's the same. Um, and, and that is what I do now. Um, I've got a website. It makes me sound like Billy Big Bananas, but it was done because my son's best friend does it for a living, so he did it for nothing. So www.clivebranson.co.uk. You can see what I do. My son introduced me to the world of Instagram. People can follow me on Instagram. I'm Br uh, Branson Clive. And I'm in competition. I need to get some more, more followers than him. So, you know. Uh, but but I but I just put I just put stuff on there that I'm doing and what I'm thinking about and and it's all it's all for one purpose and one purpose only. It's to use my story as a vehicle to reach people. Now there might be one thing, Anthony, that you might be able to help me with. Because I feel so passionate about the problems and the challenges that you guys and girls have in retirement. The corporate stuff and the, 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 the stuff that I'm hoping to build a career on, I hope it gets to that stage. I'll be able to provide for my family. But all the volunteering stuff, I've worked with the Frank Bruno Foundation. I've worked with Wolverhampton Wonders Foundation. I do the prisons, etc., etc. If there's anybody who either is a fighter or who is connected to a fighter, whether they're before, during or after retirement, if they feel or somebody around them feels that I could share some pearls of wisdom, I could share some inspiration and some encouragement, what a privilege that would be. And, I, and, and obviously there's no money involved here. You know, I, 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 would, I would love to do that for the sport that I love. I'd love to do that. You have a wonderful story, mate. You really do. And you're very good at telling your story. And what I like about your story is it's ongoing. You know, you're still, it's not something you did five or 10 or 15, 20 years ago. You're, you're in it. You're in the midst of it now. And that's why I say I talk to people with inspiring stories, people that have done great things about their life and their career. You know, 
on your thought amid suffering massive setback and adversity and you've gone through so much setback and you're still going through so much setback but it's not about how hard you hit it's about how hard you can get and keep moving forwards and you'll keep moving forwards and I'm sure people are going to be tremendously inspired by by this podcast Clive um, so they can follow you on Instagram at Branson Clive and your website is www.clivebranson.co.uk um, I really hope you get inundated with people want to hear your story uh listen i've really enjoyed this this podcast mate it's been it's been fantastic you you know as i've said like you are somebody that i truly admire mate i really mean that and you're still on your journey and i know you've got so much more to talk about as well we've got the whole ministry of defense career we didn't even touch upon so i know there's so much but what i would really like i would really like to do this again in the near distant future when you get your understanding of what your prostate cancer treatment will look like maybe you go do a few rounds of that we get you back on and, and an update so i'm sure people are going to want to follow you because as i mentioned a minute ago you have an enigmatic aura about you and i feel uplifted after this conversation well that's so generous of you of you to say that anthony and this is a mutual sort of society here because you know, again, I don't want to keep you, but your story, what you've had to endure and what you've done with your life is truly, truly inspiring. The, the, the fact that you've gone through all that and then here I am talking to you on your own podcast, thousands of miles away in America. You're signed up to the elite wrestling in, in America that's based in Florida, I believe. You are the governor um I, I i it's it honestly what you should be incredibly incredibly proud of yourself because you are an inspiration They're very kind mate i think they're very, very kind it's just this is called getting back up for a reason because we do get knocked down in life and you can you can stay there of course you can stay there if you want to stay there but where's where's the glory in that you i think in my in, in my life you have to get back up and go again and and, and dust yourself off and you know, in boxing, the great fight, they got all the best, all the greatest fighters get knocked down, probably other than Marvin Hagler. Mar did Marvin Hagler go down once, I think, in his career, maybe? I'm not sure if he got, I don't know if he got, well, maybe he didn't, but uh, most most of the greats go down. Ali went down, he went yeah, down, yeah, yeah. Robinson, and it's about getting back up. Anthony, some, Anthony, somebody once said to me, Clive, come on, you only live once. Do you know what my answer to that is? You're wrong, son, because you get to live every single day and that's perspective as you mentioned earlier that's perspective but thank you anthony thank um, you for inviting me and thank you very much for giving me your time tonight it's been an absolute privilege you're very welcome sir and until the next time you take care and you you look after yourself keep that same uh, enthusiasm for life up that's what's getting you through this and um we'll be on again in a in a few months time okay take care anthony Take care. All the best. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. I love and I am loved. Something so simple and yet so powerful and, 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 and those words have helped change Clive's perspective. Before I go on, I want to I want to thank Clive for coming on the Getting Back Up podcast. We've been in regular contact via email since and Clive mate you are you're a top bloke you really are you're a wonderful person you speak so well and I know you want to really push your public speaking now so if anybody listening to this 
want to hear more of Clive's story or, or, or like Clive's story, want to recommend them and you can find him, Clive Branson. Check him out on social media and really let's, let's, let's get him out there because he's changed the lives of so many people just by, by, by this podcast and being so honest and, and, and talking about some of the things he talked about. I know it can have a massive effect on the world. Um, you got a gift, Clive, and I, and I hope you pursue it along with your 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 kind of grass and being an amazing partner husband father and grandfather to your to your family a couple of things i made a few notes during that podcast and there's i'm only going to say a couple of things but clive you are also a wordsmith sir you 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 say many things and a few things i've made a note as i mentioned i i love and i am loved something so small something so simple can make you you change your whole mindset and perspective on life and I, and, I, and I like that you talk about perspective now for the regular weekly listeners of the guessing back up podcast you know that i love talking about perspective perspective and as your words are perspective is our superpower and i like to say when you change the way you look at things the things you look at change and it's so simple and i'll keep saying it because that is that is indicative of how to live a good life how to lead a prosperous life full of gratitude and love and happiness opposed to want and need and all the negative things that come with that i'll keep saying that because you maybe you've heard me say that maybe it hasn't clicked yet and i heard that we sure heard that quote before but at some point in my life when i was ready to hear what i heard it and it stuck so i'll keep i'll keep talking about perspective and one thing I mentioned on the podcast uh, at the time, and, and I, mean, I love this one, distance adds enchantment to the view. Oof, distance adds enchantment to the view. Wow, that's a that's a good one. I think we can all relate to that. I know. They say sleep on it. <laughs> they say sleep on it. Go to bed. Look at it again in the morning. And it's mad how you can how you, you can be you can have emotions one day, then you go to bed, you sleep, you're like. And then you look at that same thing differently. You distance it adds enchantment to the view. I love that, man. So thank you so much. I want 100%. I'm going to steal that quote and say that's a that's an original agogo. <laughs> uh, Clive, thank you so much, guys. Everyone, I hope you really, really enjoyed this podcast. Every single week, we roll on new guests after new guests after new guests. Inspiring story after inspiring story after inspiring Story. This is your weekly dose of hope and inspiration. Clive is battling so many, so many wars at the same time. Yeah, he's still here. He's still in the fight. Trish Dixon said way, 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 way back when on the Getting Back Up podcast, always stay in a fight. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's scary. Yes, sometimes you feel like you want to tap out and give up. But don't always stay in a fight. And Clive isn't just staying in the in in the fight. He's he's not just surviving. He's thriving, living his best life. Yes, he limps a little bit. Yes, he's got some other ailments. But Clive is alive. And what what a dude? And and I, I could sing this man's praises again because I thoroughly enjoyed that podcast. And I'm so glad you found a belonging in with, within the boxing community. Clive, listen, dude, great to meet you. Um, wish you all the very best. And I look forward to doing a part two because I know there's so much we didn't touch upon. Wow. 
guys, I'm sure you know, you, you might come past a setback this coming week. You might struggle a little bit. You might get hit, hit hard even. You might even go down. But remember, when you find yourself on a seat to your pants, or lying flat back on your back looking up, or lying flat out on your back looking up, just know that there's one thing that you can do. As always, get back up. I'll see you again next week. Take care.